Empower Radio presents Art as Worship with Vanessa Lowry. Welcome to Art as Worship. Each week we feature stories of artists and explore their process of creation. I'm your host, Vanessa Lowry, and I'm thankful that you're joining me. On this show, I talk with artists of various faiths, working in a wide range of mediums, on the common theme of how they use inspiration and creativity as an expression of their spirituality. Learn how their art is an expression of their own connection to however they name God, Jehovah, Allah, Source, the Universe, the Great Mystery, or something else. My hope is that these stories will inspire your creative efforts and your own spiritual expression. My guest today is author Walter Lawrence. He grew up in Texas where his father practiced veterinary medicine and his mother taught nursing. He and his sister were raised in a family that valued the origin and meaning of words. Walt majored in English in college and later earned a Master's of Arts in professional writing. He's published numerous freelance magazine and newspaper articles, and both his poetry and short stories have won numerous awards. His latest artistic venture has been to write and record stories specifically as audio downloads on Audible and iTunes. He recently made his first Nashville recording to be used as the theme song to his latest audio. Walter writes under the pen name of T.W. Lawrence. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Vanessa. It's good well, to be here. It's good to have you here. And I know that you've been writing for a long time, but at what point, what got you interested in writing? It was my substitute for a midlife crisis. Uh, having grown up professionally as an accountant, I came to the conclusion two things. One, a Corvette was too expensive, and getting a girlfriend and being married was too messy. <laughs> so writing seemed like a, a, an easy out. When you think about it, it's, it's really inexpensive because any version of Word and a clunky old computer printer will do. So you can you can crank out uh, your writing without uh, having much invested in it at all. So did you decide to write for a while before you decided to go back to school and get your master's degree? Uh, I was actually writing uh, when, uh, and I was at a, a meeting in Roswell of, of a group of writers and wannabe writers, and somebody mentioned the program, and I had not heard about it, so we talked about it a little bit. I explored it and found that it was really something that I was keenly interested in, and I followed up and joined the program and 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 took the course. There were, uh, as a master's degree, it was 60 credit hours, five credit hours per course, so there were 12 courses when when I called that my 12-step program to becoming a writer. <laughs> the faculty did not appreciate that humor, but uh, I always found it interesting. <laughs> well, I think it's important that we amuse ourselves, so I think that's good. <laughs> yeah, especially. <laughs> so how does your spirituality find expression <clears throat> in your art of writing? Well, it's interesting, particularly on this last uh, series that I've been writing, which is called Dusty and the Cowboy. I got into it uh, nominally by accident. Upon reflection, you could say I got into it because I was divinely led that way or I was pushed there or a door was opened and I had the sense enough to step through it. I had put together earlier an anthology of short stories called Take Me to Texas. One of the stories in there was called Dusty. It was a very short piece the original was only 257 words. I have since added a little bit to that. But later, the anthology was recorded as an audiobook. And I can remember very specifically the morning that I heard the first recording of Dusty. It was done by uh, a DJ named Moby of Moby in the Morning, who has a very 
deep country slash Texas sounding voice. And when he read the story, and I listened to it the first time sitting in my office at home on this chilly Saturday morning, I cried uh, for several reasons. One, it was the first time I'd ever heard my words recorded and spoken back by somebody else, particularly somebody who was a professional. But then he did such a good job. He made the story come alive, and I got into the story as though I was a reader and didn't know how it came out. And the last part of it was that the character in there, who is the unnamed cowboy, turned out to be me because the cowboy was <laughs> was looking for direction, and he asked for divine help, and he began his journey. And so it resonated with me at that level, and I, and I said to myself, wow, this is something here that's bigger than the 257 words. When the anthology was put out into the public, and I actually had that one spun off as a separate um, track, and I have given it away, and, and folks can actually come to your website and download that, right? Yes, if, if they go to projectdusty.com, you can get a free download of that as an MP3, or you can just listen to it. It links to YouTube. But the the response I'd gotten to it was was good enough that people would say, where are the other stories? And I thought they were talking about the anthology, Take Me to Texas, and I finally realized, no, they were talking about the re- because this was so short, this must be one of many. And I said, well, no, it's just the one. And they said, well, then sit down and write the others, and <laughs> that's what I've done. And one thing has led to another, and following uh, that path, it's been interesting, the doors that have opened. And when I think about it, it wasn't anything that I did by myself. I had help with this, and so I'm, I'm just following um, that path to see where it takes me. Well, and I, I know that... Um as artists, we always have lots of ideas. So it, I am curious how you felt like this idea came to you and then how it expanded and wh- how you, what you decided to follow. Cause I know you've had lots of different ideas of how to expand these, these cowboy stories and these stories of dusty. Well, the, I was an English major as an undergraduate years and years ago. And one of the things that we studied was, um, Edgar Allan Poe. Poe said something that was interesting and just stuck with me all this time. He said, there is nothing more beautiful to contemplate, or there's nothing yeah, better to, compl- to contemplate than a beautiful woman. And he said, conversely, there is nothing more that you dislike contemplating than death. So that, as he did often in his stories, the death of a beautiful woman is good and bad at the same time, and that is therefore poignant. So realizing that, that there is power in the dealing with death as a theme in your art, in in my writing. So the sequel to Dusty dealt with that. Uh, One of the characters dies, and the character Cowboy has has to deal with that. And in doing that story, when I put it together, and I got what I wanted out of it, that's when I knew that there was merit to doing a series of these same two cowboys. In in terms of uh, divine inspiration and divine intervention, the idea for the through story in the second piece, which is called Biscuits, 
came when a friend of mine out the blue, who, who, we don't usually uh, exchange this kind of information, he said, here's a contest you might be interested in. It's uh, 2,500 words or whatever. But the um, the requirement in the uh, the story that they required was that you had to write about a lady's locket. You had to include a description and how the author came about having that locket or viewing that locket. And when I saw that, I thought, eh, just another contrived contest. And I set it aside, then I picked it back up again, and I thought, you know, locket, that's pretty good. I could write a story about the cowboy and Dusty surrounding that, and that became Biscuit. Well, and I think that's amazing. It's it's interesting how sometimes restrictions can jolt our creativity and sometimes restrictions stifle our creativity. So it sounds like having that restriction really kind of set you off on this story of biscuits um, as the premise or as a part of the story. Yes, it was It was one of those uh, things that kind of answers the question, where do ideas come from? It's events like this. It was unintended. But then I neither did I ignore it. I, I I I filed it away, ruminated on it, came back and said, "Wait a second! I, if if this, then that, and I can I can take it from there." So I think it's really interesting that you've named the horse, which is Dusty, but you haven't named the cowboy. <laughs> that was that was unintentional. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't until I wrote biscuits. I was writing along, and I started to say, "Okay, now uh, I'll put." name of character here in the sentence. And I looked at it and went, oh, I never named him. <laughs> well, in 257 words, right. you don't You have, didn't need to. Didn't have a, yeah, you just referred to him as the cowboy. And you know, he did, and he, and, and so when I got to it, I said, oh, okay, well, I either have to name him and come up with a very cool name because it's going to stick with him, or, and I bounced it around some of my fellow writers, we concluded that there was more power in leaving him unnamed. So he's just now called Cowboy. However, if this works out as I intended to at the moment, there will be 15 stories, five per set. And in the 15th story, his name will be revealed to the readers. So I, I know what it is. You know what it is. That was I, have, be my I have the backstory on what it is, but he will be Cowboy until then. Excellent. So when you're getting ready to write, do you have any kind of a, a process or a ritual that you use to kind of connect with your creativity and connect with that divine flow to get you into in the, into your creativity? Yes. Uh, I play three games of solitaire on the computer and, until I've, I've won. And then I say, okay, now I've, I've – meanwhile, that, that is a process of, of me clearing out all worldly stuff. And then I'll I'll sit down and I'll say, okay, now it's time to write. And I'll do a little bit of contemplation slash prayer and get myself into it. Then I have this process where I know that much like a scrimmage, the first paragraph, the first six sentences, it doesn't matter. I just write them knowing that they'll likely be trash. But it kind of gets me going. It's kind of like an old locomotive, the wheels spinning on the track, and they finally get traction and go. And so I'll do that, set it aside, and then start over, and then write for real. It's kind of like, okay, I'm warmed up now. Oh, so you actually set it aside and start with a fresh, yeah, a fresh sheet. Yeah, for the most part, I'll uh, in in knowing that it's not going to be critical, 
I have complete freedom to write as bizarre or as nonsensical or as ungrammatically correct as I need to be just to kind of find wherever that button is in the back of my brain that finally goes, oh, here I am. And once I know that I've touched that, and I say, okay, now I can – it's like putting on your hat. It's kind of like, okay, now I put on my hat and I'm ready to write. Well, and I know that you still got your, your accounting business and you also have a lot of things as a business owner that you have to manage. Do you find that you're able to write every day? I do write every day. It's not always creative writing. It's not always fiction, but I, I, I do write, whether it's business letters or uh, long emails where I'm explaining things to parties that I deal with, that kind of thing. But uh, I do write every day. So do you find that your that your regular work and your business writing taps into a different part of your creativity than your fiction writing oh, yeah. does? Yes. And... There are times when if, if you've had a particularly busy day or dealt with uh, some tedious or heavy problems, that it does sap your creative uh, energy. You, you, at some point, you can just you just have to kind of set that aside. But then, um, interestingly, I'm both a night owl and a morning person. <laughs> so you just don't have to sleep at all is what you're saying. No, that, that's not true. <laughs> okay. it, 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 but I can't be in both in the same day. I can either be very energetic in the morning and then fade and, and not do anything, or I can work and set aside and then be creative up until I crash. So I'm, it, 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 it downtime either at the beginning or the end. It drives my wife crazy that I'm a morning person because she is not. <laughs> so, so I tend to default to doing that in the morning anyway. So do you need a certain amount of time to kind of get into creative writing? To have to feel like you've tapped into your creativity. Deadlines help. <laughs> deadlines <laughs> always make for for good writing, and so uh, when there are no deadlines, it, it it tends to skewer out. But it's it's good to um, to try to get. I'm not one of those people who says I have to write a hundred words or five hundred words a day and then put that in a stack and do it. It's when I get caught up in what I want to write, I can write for hours and hours and hours and lose track of time. So it's very episodic. So I know that um, writing is, is a very solo type of activity for the most part. And then I've been privileged to work with you on actually designing some of your book covers and your CD covers and that kind of thing, which is a very collaborative process. You are, in fact, my graphics department. <laughs> I'm very honored to do that. <laughs> so do you find that, that your creativity works differently when you're, when you're creating solo versus when you're creating in collaboration either with me or with someone else? Well, it depends on how you define collaboration because every artist has to collaborate. You do not create things in a vacuum, period. Otherwise, you'd just be off in a cave somewhere and come back with uh, the Sistine Chapel. Um, it's kind of like brainstorming, uh, which I have done professionally and I do uh, with different groups and different people. Everybody has a story. Everybody in this world. It's one of the reasons why I talk to strangers. I want to find out what's that cool story that they have. So they tell me this little story. I take it. I file it away or I remember it. And then as I'm writing later on and I'm looking for a scene or I'm looking for what will fit here, that uh, my mind will pull out that. I remember when you met so-and-so and he tells you that story, I go, 
I can use that. So it's like at a breakfast meeting I had today, one of the gentlemen at the table was trying to describe a situation uh, about speaking truth and speaking truth to spouses. And he made the statement, women like shiny things. I thought, <laughs> that's a silly thing to say, but I have filed that away and it will come out. As I, as I, and it'll show up in a story. Yeah, as you said, you know, that's destined for a story somewhere sometime that some either to be used as good or bad that, that, that will come up. So uh, it's being receptive when, when people do that. It's one of those things that people cross your paths for a reason uh, that you don't always know uh, to start off with. That's why uh, I don't reject discussing anything with anybody is because in the essence of that, it's kind of like um, playing the seven degrees of Kevin Bacon or something like that. When you finally get into doing that, you'll get to what you have in common, and what you have in common is an idea that will be motivating to you uh, to some extent, and that motivation translates into creativity. Now, that's just like having a lot of ingredients. You still have to make the cake. Right. But it's good to have lots of ingredients to oh, choose sure. from. Cho- choices are always better. Choices are always good. So I, you mentioned that, that you never that you enjoy talking to strangers, and I'd love for you to tell our listeners the story of um, how you connected with a photographer that you're actually using several of his images on your Dusty series. One of your former guests. That's right, one of my former guests. Yes, I was... Um, I was at a uh, function. It's a, a CEO luncheon, a luncheon where people who own their own businesses will go, and um, it, it was it's put on by one of the local churches. And what they do is they they bring together people who share Christian values, and you see Christian values in the workplace, and that gets reinforced, and you have some discussions. Well, as my wife said, the miracle happened. The miracle happened that I was not talking with anyone in a room full of strangers. I was minding my own business. I was actually waiting on somebody to show up. And at this club that we were at, the entry is through a spiral staircase. And I knew that the person would be coming up the spiral staircase. So I was standing at the rail on the other side so I could see him come up. There was this fellow who was up against the wall, <clears throat> glass wall there, reading his email on his cell phone or whatnot, uh, an older gentleman. And I just saw he was there and was waiting for my friend to show up. And then I realized that the older gentleman had come and he was standing, you know, elbow to elbow with me. And he said to me, I haven't spoken to anyone here. Would you like to chat? (laughs) Who, me? (laughs) I said, sure. What do you do? And then he proceeded to say that he had been a fashion photographer. And I went, really? I'd never met a fashion photographer. Is this what fashion photographers look like? I just, you know, I absorbed what he was in and he started talking about this and he says but i'm working on this other project and that was the theme of your show he was actually a fantastic photographer and he has the uh journeys of the messiah right thing that he was is doing there anyway uh, so i said wow i said that seems like a bigger project than what i'm working on i handed him my little business card which you had designed for me and i gave it to him and he sees the picture of the cowboy on there and he goes i love cowboys i really love cowboys and then he proceeds, as though I weren't there, to tell me all the places in the West where he had shot photography for catalogs and uh, this billboard and that, and going on and on and on. And mentioned some names that I knew. He was, you know, Mercedes Boots and and various places. 
And then he pulls out his cell phone and he said, here's my portfolio of cowboys. And he started whipping through the pictures. And I just was salivating like, oh, my gosh, because I had not yet acquired a picture for right. the cover. You were of the, actively looking for photographs of cowboys. I was waiting for the lady from California to get back to me, which she did, as I told you. This morning she got back to me. This was back in February when uh, uh, Michael and I met. And I stopped him and I said, wait. I said, uh, we need to sit and talk about these pictures because I, I want to use them for this project that I'm working on. I described to him. He said, oh, let's have coffee. And so, so we did. And the result was the photograph that was used for the cover of the book and the CD, which is, as he said, is a grabber. And it was. And then he told me, uh, I said, well, what kind of arrangement do we need for license for me to license this kind of stuff? And he just put his hand on my shoulder and said, I don't want your money. I just want your project to be successful. I went, wow. <laughs> <laughs> he did want attribution, which I gave to him. And, you know, one thing. And so we were sort of looking out for each other and, you know, refer each other to various venues. So it's working. As a matter of fact, he and I are having breakfast next week at a National Day of Prayer um, observation in North Fulton. Excellent. Well, it is interesting that when you've, because I know you were actively looking for cowboy photos and you'd been talking to several different photographers and looking through some of the stock photography sites. So that was active in your, in your mind that that was something you were looking for, but it's interesting how God just brought that all together. More, uh, more evidence in that meeting is that he came up to me. Right. It's not like I was hustling him. He 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 started the conversation. So I I just went, wow, there's something in this. So pay attention to what this guy has to say for you. And it's not like that even if, as you all started the conversation, and he's a fashion photographer, that you would have even brought that up. Yeah, because I said, I said, fashion photography, you mean like skinny girls, short skirts, that kind of thing? I was, oh, yeah, Milan, <laughs> Paris, London, New York. Thought, wow, and here you are in downtown Ashford Dunwoody. With a whole portfolio of cowboy photos. <laughs> <laughs> On your cell phone. That's right. Well, I'm curious how um, your art has affected your spiritual evolution or how your spiritual evolution has affected your art. I have come to realize that they are so intricately intertwined. Um, it had been there all along, but I didn't recognize it until... About the same time that I recognized that I was in fact an artist, legitimately so, I knew that I could I could write, you know, a paragraph at a time. I could write a story that had an impact. Um, came at a time, and, and not that long ago, actually, it was it was a story biscuits that kind of solidified it for me, and that was when at a a group of guys that we meet uh, regularly and you know, share experiences and problems, that kind of thing. One of my friends, Marco, repeated a line from that story as an example of what it was he wanted to say. And that just really shook me. I thought, A, he's paid attention. B, he knows it well enough that he quoted the line correctly. Uh, back to me as an example, it's kind of like, well, yeah, I know what that, I know the impact of what you're saying because I wrote those words, and I was in the character when, when I did that. So I fully understand what it is you're trying to say, and I was thinking, wow, Marco was moved by that enough that he latched onto it. When I talked to him afterwards, he says, 
I had given him an, an audio of, of that one story. He says, I listen to that audio often because it is so moving. And so I went, okay, if I can reach a hardened, crusty, world experience guy like Marco, then there is talent in the words, A, and B, if I'm being used as an instrument to address whatever issues Marco was working on when he read that, then that is part of something bigger than me. And the two are cross intersect at, at my writing and the distribution. And so it's undeniable. Well, and you, you mentioned earlier that this has gone places that you didn't expect. You first wrote that first story. Um, so this going down this trail with Dusty is taking you on a trail that, that is a trail that you wouldn't have ever anticipated. Yes. Yeah, most recently, it has uh, put me in position to um, enjoy the best enchiladas I've ever had. <laughs> and that was in, in Fort Worth, Texas at uh, the Old Mexican Cafe. I was in Dallas specifically to go to an event. It was called Fan the Flame, which was the evangelical meeting of the ministers of the cowboy churches of Texas, which I was invited to be an exhibitor specifically to um, showcase Dusty and the Cowboy. Um, and I, if it hadn't been for that and me following my path and meeting those guys, I would... I would never have been uh, in the Mesquite Rodeo Arena, which is very historic, uh, let alone, you know, setting myself up as a resource for these independent churches to use to help in their outreach to parishioners and and people that would soon become parishioners. So it was, yeah, that was kind of heady. Well, and one of the things you mentioned to me is that a lot of the um, parishioners that they reach don't respond to regular church. Well, and so they need to approach them differently. Yes, there's um the um the Baptist church has this concept following uh the scripture where it says that the the word uh, the bible will be uh spread among all the peoples of the world. So Somebody sat down and said there are X number of what they call people groups. There's the guys in Africa. There's the guys in Sweden. There's the guys in North Georgia, whatever. There are people groups. Aborigines are a people group. The guys in Uganda, there's 25 different tribes. There's 25 people groups. So they've identified all these these people groups. And so as they send out missionaries and they do whatever qualifies to saying they have reached, then they scratch them off the list. And there's like about 3,500 people groups left. Okay. In a way, this is solely my opinion, nothing official from, you know, organized religion. I believe that they they view these people who go to the cowboy churches as one of these people groups because they're, so, they're different. And speaking with one of the ministers that was there, he says, well, you have to remember... Uh, so that we have a little bit rougher crowd than that would would go to a, a a regular church. And I said, "What do you mean rougher?" He says, "Well, at least half of them have been to prison, and the others are about this far away." So, as I was talking with uh, uh, 
the guy who was the publicist for the Baptist Church this morning about that. He grew up in Texas. He said, oh, yes, I know exactly those guys. They lived next door to me in the trailer park, and we went to high school together. He said, yes, they're a rougher crowd. <laughs> so, so, Walter, tell our listeners how they can find out more about you and find out more about Dusty and the Cowboy. Well, as you mentioned, I write under the pen name T.W. Lawrence. That's T period W period L-A-W-R-E-N-C-E. So if you Google on that, that'll list the uh, – I rank quite high in that, like one, two, and three. Uh, uh, and um, for the most part, at the typical places, Amazon is where they can buy the print books and the CDs. Audible.com and iTunes, they can download the MP3s of the audios that have put out, and uh, they'll soon be – Another five stories out there, hopefully in another three weeks or so. Excellent. Well, and actually about, about the time that this airs, it'll just be about another week after that before they're out. So Yes. So that's excellent. So do you have any last thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners about how they might tap into their own creativity and use it as an expression of their spirituality? Uh, yes, there's, uh, there's two things that artists should do, particularly writers. First thing is that you should not try to be like anybody else. You should be yourself. You have to find your voice. And to do that, you have to listen and trust the voice that's inside you, which means you have to turn inside, which means that you have to let go of this world and open yourself up to the world of creativity and therefore the world of the divinity as well. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for being with me today. You're welcome. And thank you to our listeners. I welcome your suggestions or comments on this or any of our shows. You can find links to all of our shows on Empower Radio and on our website, artisworship.net. Please come share your stories of Art as Worship on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash Art as Worship. I appreciate you being with us today. May you have an inspired and creative week. Namaste. Namaste.